Hi, this is Lori, your host of Happiness Hangout, a space to come and elevate your happiness levels. You, me, and our guests will discuss and help you apply happiness to all aspects of your life, even if you're already happy. Get your daily boost of information to help you feel your best. Well, hi, everyone. This is Lori Peters, author of Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopelessness to Happiness. I'm so excited about providing you this audio reading from my book, and we are going to get into some really fun stuff. Uh, First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a little overview of the book so you know what's coming in future readings and as well as today. And also, I am going to have some discussion uh, throughout the book, um, revelations, things I've learned, uh, things that you can ponder, discussions for other times, just great things to think about. Um, I'm going to go a little deeper as well um, from the chapters into what I was really thinking and kind of move from there. So this is going to kind of be free-flowing, and I hope that you truly enjoy it, and it it makes for... um, a great piece for you to learn from, to listen, to share with others. And that is my hope for you. So getting married at last, my journey from hopelessness to happiness. First of all, just a little bit about the book that I'm going to run through. The book has 12 chapters uh, and an after story. Um, If you were reading it quickly, it would only probably take about three hours. But Hopefully, uh, in this audio recording, you'll be able to get a lot more from it than just reading it. So in chapter, the first couple of chapters, I really talk about how my family, um, how they impacted me, uh, a lot about uh, me as a little child starting at nine years old and kind of running through um, the challenges that I had as a little kid because we all have them and what those challenges were, and how my parents related to each other, and how it affected me in relationships. Some of this stuff is a, can be pretty funny, and some of it, quite frankly, can be a little sad at times. So I walk through those early years, uh, and then we get into the early teen years and how you start to count on your friends. Uh, a lot of this has to do with self-esteem, self-love, how you're looking at yourself, which then goes into the outer world and how you're dealing with boys and relationships and how I did and, and how I got so stuck and how it was, it was funny, but so painful at the same time. So as we go through that, you know, you have that base then to get you into high school and that base was a little bit awkward and strange for me. So hopefully, um, you know, you may see even a little see of yourself in this um, as we walk through this. So then we get into high school and what happens through those years and how they were um, very in. Um, oh, I would say they, they really weren't fun until my senior year. I talk a lot about um, really feeling uncomfortable with my body, myself. And when I look back on high school, how much fun it could have had if I would have just been a little bit wiser, if just a couple of things would have happened, which uh, I wish I could have done, or maybe it could have been done for me, but it wasn't. And then we'll talk after these chapters about how you learn from that. Then we get into the really fun years of college and, and the relationships and the crazy things that happened and things that I did. And, and, and again, how it really set me up to, um, 
to actually go very lonely because I didn't get married until I was 53 years old, which was about 10 months ago. Um, you can start to see how that happened. So really for any of you who have been in relationships, broken up, um, been through divorces, maybe never got married, but in, were in long-term relationships, hopefully you can relate with this. Or if you had self-esteem issues, self-love issues, you can probably relate to a lot of what I'm going to be saying through this. Um, then we move into getting out into the real world and what happened when I actually got to marriage age and having kids age and all the lessons and revelations that I have now about it and things for you to think about. Um, cause when it doesn't happen, oftentimes, um, people's society doesn't understand what it looks like and feels like to go through that and be at that age where everybody is doing the traditional things and you are not. Then I really get into questioning myself. What in the heck is going on here? How did I get into this predicament? And then we get to chapter seven and boom, everything just blows up. I have a, a, an amazing tragedy happen in my life that changes my entire life. And it's really the beginning of how I look at life and myself very differently. As I go through that healing process, um, I go through a really a big upheaval in a relationship and then what happened from that and how I healed from that and how all of a sudden a very surprising situation and surprising um, loving creature comes into my life that changes everything for me. And how I utilize that situation and that brings me love and opens me up to a new way of looking at myself in relationships. And I show you all through that. It's very, gets to the really fun um, part of the book for me. But you have to, I had to go through the other stuff to get to that point. Um, and then how all that change brings in the relationship of my dreams and how I handled that and how I got, I want to show people how to have their own loving relationship. And, uh, and I walk through that all the way to the point where I say, how do I keep this going? How do I get this wonderful relationship and not screw it up? So we walk through that. And then I have an after story where I really talk to you about the how to's of doing that. Um, so there's some, some very exciting moments. There's some crying, there's some laughter, there's some what kind of, how in the heck did you end up doing that? So for any of you out there who have been through awkward, weird relationship situations, and you really either want to get it right, or you just want to have a good laugh, or you want to know that there's hope for anything in your life. I think getting married at last, my journey from hopelessness to happiness will help you do that. So, so let's get into it. So here we go. So I'm going to start with the introduction, and then we're going to get through, hopefully, hopefully chapters one and two. So here we go. Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopelessness to Happiness by author Lori Peters. All aboard. Ride along with me on my winding, tumultuous journey from hopelessness to happiness as the love train pulls out of the station in high school, meanders in and out of hills and valleys, veers off track, and then comes to a screeching halt for days, months, and yes, even years. You'll meet my memorable passengers, the most challenging, impactful love relationships I've experienced, and probably recognize some of your own along the way. Slowly but surely, I force myself to buy a ticket for a different route, leave my worn baggage behind, and climb aboard for more adventures. 
I chug along, experiencing good, bad, and ugly relationships until my aha moment appears. I evolve into my true self and find the one. Although it took decades for me to become my true self, I explain how I got through it and came out on the other side. Let your own emotions go as I retell stories of relationships through crocodile tears, as well as my irreverent but endearing sense of humor. I sometimes found myself laughing so hard in my own memories, I had to change my clothes. And by the way, for someone who's in her 50s, that's not that uncommon. My former love interest names have been changed to protect the innocent and not so innocent. Moving through this life, I realized that my ex-boyfriends and I were just doing the best we could. We all just needed room to grow. None of us could claim we were perfect. We were all just trying to make our own way in life, sloppy and disturbing as it was. I decided to write this book after my struggles with finding love were over. I also wrote my story to inspire others to realize that they can find the relationships of their life as well. It doesn't matter if you're 27 or 70. If you're in the right headspace, you can and will find your partner. You may even learn more about your life than you imagined. Remember that love takes many forms. Love of self, parents, friends, family, relationship, and even our animal companions. I knew I wanted love in a partner, but that doesn't mean this is the goal for every human being. Happiness is defined uniquely for each person. The lessons I learned on my journey apply to all kinds of relationships. I hope my transformation awakens you to new possibilities because life is too short to give up on yourself, the relationship of your dreams, or anything else you want for that matter. I felt compelled to not only share my challenging, impactful journey with you, but also to provide inspiration and opportunities for deeper reflection so you may live your life with more confidence and peace. Let this book be a source of light, hope, and the spark that reminds you that you can have a beautiful, loving relationship no matter what path in life you're on. Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopelessness to Happiness, Chapter 1. Pulling out of the station, the journey begins. Hi, I whimpered. It's over, and he's gone. I can't believe this is happening. Again! My best friend Melissa asked me what happened. And as I have so many times before, I tell her the story. It's the same tale I always tell, just with a different guy at a different time. Another love lost. This scenario was called my pattern, doing the same thing over and over again and having no idea how to stop it. This pattern started when I was young, as many do. So welcome to my weirdness, awkward, uncomfortable, and unworthy. These are the feelings I remember about my childhood. Can you say low, low self-esteem? Yes, you can, and you should, because this nine-year-old was not having fun. From the time I was conscious of my surroundings, I knew I wasn't pretty. I remember looking in the mirror, making that ugly face, somehow knowing that I was describing myself. I had thin, scraggly, mousy brown hair, an overbite, and a nose that seemed to cover my face like I was some kind of female Jimmy Durante. For those of you who don't know, the comedian made his living joking about his nose. At the time, I thought I inherited all the worst physical features from my parents. I had my mom's absurdly big toe from who knows where. We're not aware of any other relative owning this precious gem. 
I didn't get my mom's big boobs until much later and my hips sunk battleships. Individually, my dad and mom had fine noses and eyes, but in my opinion, the combination that appeared on my face just didn't look right. Too bad I never noticed what was attractive about my looks back then. That came years later. Top it off, I displayed a foul mood that was the product of my anger. Anger at the world, God, and my family for not making me pretty. There is no way that attitude was going to translate well into the world. And boy, it didn't. Add to that my people-pleasing ways, and we had a recipe for sadness and heartbreak. Oh, and one more thing. I got my period at nine. Actually, I was almost ten. Becoming a woman technically at ten is not a confidence builder. It felt bizarre to say the least, as most 10-year-olds do not know how to process this. I just woke up one morning, looked in the toilet and screamed, Mom! She was calm and collected while I was freaking out. That was our usual communication method throughout our lives. My first question to her was, Do I bleed like this every day for the rest of my life? She laughed and assured me it was only one week out of every four. OMG, what? I was bleeding through my vagina at barely 10 years old. I was traumatized, but I went to school that day, cramps and all. I could not concentrate, and when Mrs. Roman called on me to answer a math question, I thought, are you kidding me, lady? I am dying here. Mom and I never discussed menstrual cycles because, well, I was a child. I guess she thought we had a few more years. How family shaped me, whether I liked it or not. You know, I was the apple of my mother's eye. We had similar faces and personalities, and her world revolved around me. Thank goodness, because this self-proclaimed awkward mess of a kid needed her support badly. She was five foot six with bristly brown hair that looked like she walked successfully through a windstorm. She had it done every week, like most ladies from the silent generation, and it drooped in two days. Her poop brown eyes, as she referred to them, showed her cunning wit. Her tongue was so sharp, it cut through people and it cut people into shreds if they got on our bad side. The most intimidating women I knew told me my mother terrified them. If she liked you, she treated you like gold. If she didn't, watch out. Once we went into a neighbor's party and this friend of a friend and she got into some dumb thing and I watched my mom go at him like a shark tangling with its bait. That guy never knew what hit him as mom verbally slammed him as she snidely sipped her black coffee. Dad just sat back and enjoyed the show as I ran back to my house to avoid confrontation. The good news is she loved to have fun and laughed at my silly antics. See, my parents used to play the Cheech and Chong album after hours at our Dairy Queen business, and I would imitate the filthy mouth 1970s comedians. She kept trying to turn down the volume when they dropped the F-bomb, which was about every five seconds. I was nine and I said, give it up already. She said, no way, but eventually I talked her into continuing to let the album roll. I usually got what I wanted if I wanted it badly enough. I was even respectful enough to skip all the F-words during my comedy shows. I figured I waited until I was at least 10 before I moved into the adult version. On my 11th birthday, I begged and pleaded for a cherry red Latour 10-speed bike. My parents said it was too much money and that I'd hardly ride it. You know, I'm a salesperson at heart, so I used every tactic in the book. Made my case for exercising, having more fun with friends, getting more fresh air out there riding my bike. Well, they were having none of it until the bike showed up in the garage. Lori 1, 
parent zero. My dad was quite the character, too. He was a guy's guy, but, but quite sweet and kind. He was six foot tall and a handsome man with bright green eyes. In my parents' wedding pictures, he looked like Buddy Holly with his wavy dark hair and black square room glasses. Dad was a go-with-the-flow guy, to put it mildly, and the man was always late as he sang to his own tune. As my mother put it, when you were zigging, he was zagging. While the neighborhood was in peaceful slumber, he was snowblowing the driveway at 3 a.m. Nobody even knew what a snowblower was in 1976, but we had one. Dad was an early adopter, as they say in marketing, and we were the first to have many conveniences, such as central air and many other things, like the microwave. Yes, he figured out how to find one, install it himself, and maintain that air conditioning for many years. We had the microwave, the satellite TV that my dad rigged up years before anyone else had them. He used to go to what I called the Star Trek room, into the spare closet, go up through the ceiling, do something mysterious, and voila, hundreds of channels from some alien place would appear on our TV. Needless to say, my friends like hanging out at my house because my dad's hobby was stereo sound systems. He had 32 speakers in the basement and cranked out jazz, blues, Led Zeppelin, Creedence Clearwater Revival, and so much more, like we were at a live show at Madison Square Garden. He soundproofed the basement with sand, which poured out of our walls for the next 30 years. My mom almost tumbled off her chair when the audio warehouse retail store sent my dad a Christmas card in 1977. See, back then, that kind of marketing wasn't prevalent, so you know old Shumbo spent a lot of cash there. Shumbo was the nickname that my friend gave my dad just out of the blue, and we called him that for years. My parents were both old school, work hard, play later kind of people. They didn't believe in building self-esteem, and they expected me to be humble. But this child needed compliments so desperately. I had little to no belief in myself, and this lack of confidence came from a place inside me. No one was mean or abusive to me, and I had no one to blame. I just didn't like how I looked in the mirror. When I was about 13, my dad and I were joking around, and I ended up sitting on his lap in the kitchen. My, dad, my mom was making dinner and said, you look like you're gaining weight. Her comment triggered me to ask, why don't you ever say anything nice about me? She turned around looking shocked and sad. She told me that her family never gave many accolades because they thought their children might turn out to be egotistical. I knew mom loved me by her actions, not her words. I told her that it would be helpful if she complimented me once in a while. For the first time in my life, I saw my mom vulnerable. She apologized and said it was hard for her, but she would try. As usual, my dad just sat there not saying anything. I'm not sure if he was just taking it all in or if he didn't hear most of it. You see, he was actually 70% deaf. Because of the combination of my internal angst about my looks and my inherited anxious and somewhat depressed nature, I needed a lot of extra support. Although I am grateful for the way my wonderful parents raised me, I certainly could have used a therapist while I was growing up to provide me with the coping skills that my parents just didn't have to share at the time. Mom always told me Dad was an extremely sensitive man. But you couldn't tell. He didn't often show his feelings. Once he said, I hate emotions, which revealed a lot about his psychological well-being as well as the irony that his statement was in fact emotional. 
He never talked about feelings, but he did show me affection, thank goodness. He hugged me often, and I could sense how much he loved being around me by the warmth that emanated from him onto me. He wasn't dead inside by a long shot, but his heart and soul could have used some reviving, just like mine. That can happen when you have a tumultuous upbringing like he did. When he was eight years old, my grandmother sent him to live in foster care for a few years. She just could not handle the stress of life, as she was only 16 when she gave birth to him. My paternal grandfather was out of the scene, and Grandma ended up marrying another man and having a few more kids. My dad's sister revealed to me that he was relieved being away from the chaos, and his foster family saved his life because they taught him discipline and structure. By the time he got back home, Grandma's husband had died. Dad was much older than his siblings and had to take on the father role. They were poor, and my dad quit school to work for our town's small grocery store when he was around 14. He worked all day and into the evening and came home to unruly brothers and sisters who were doing their best to help out. It baffles me that he turned out to be even remotely normal. All he wanted was to find a swell girl to marry and a stable family, and that he found. You see, miracles do happen. Every night, Dad would sit down and try to talk with me about whatever was going on in my life. When I was a teenager, I blew that off because I was a bitch who didn't understand what was happening to me when I was maturing. I was moodier than a Kardashian on a diet. He would tease me so I would interact with him. He would wrap his index finger and thumb around my knee and squeeze. Yikes, that got my attention. Oh, did that hurt. We would joke around and play fight. I know I hurt his feelings, though, so many times with my crappy attitude. See, I was there physically, but not mentally. I would just look at him and blow him off with my eyes. I hope I made it up to him by becoming a, a good person later in life who treated him with respect and care. I thought the world of my dad. And considering his upbringing, I believe his ability to show love on any level was an amazing feat. See, I think dad should be a big deal in young girls' lives. And my dad certainly was a big deal in my life. They teach us how men should treat us. They show us what we can expect from relationships. And their impact on us is profound. Our parents' love for each other, or lack thereof, is our first encounter with this type of union. It can, and usually does, affect us for many years, or maybe our entire lives. Role models are not perfect, and that's okay. My parents' love for each other was evident until I was around 10. Before that, you know, I saw them kissing, and I think I heard them say I love you to each other a few times. Then something happened that I didn't understand for years. They became complacent. Just like that. They used to argue and make fun bets with each other. For example, on Saturday nights, the dictionary came out because they were having a debate and betting money on word definitions. It was like watching Revenge of the Nerds, Peter's style. Then the love just seemed to stop. They began to merely coexist in the same house. Communication breakdown evolved into just going through the motions. Yes, it was much more peaceful, but I felt like they gave up. They almost got divorced, and my mom was preparing to move us in with her mom. Then one night, I heard them in their bedroom down the hall. My mom was sobbing and talking, and I didn't hear a peep out of my dad. I think this went on for about an hour or two. My mom quietly came into my bedroom in the middle of the night, hugged me, and said, It's going to be okay, honey. It's going to be okay. 
The next morning, I abruptly pulled the for sale sign out of the front yard and threw it across the yard. And that was it. My parents began their journey of loneliness together for the next 24 years. All for me. I'm sure of it. As sad as my parents' relationship seemed, we did have fun and laughed a lot, even though they were always stressed about running their Dairy Queen. I didn't realize mom and dad's relationship was my model of normalcy. I viewed love and marriage as two people managing to get along in life without much affection or attention to each other. Yeah, they still spend time together going out to dinner every Saturday, visiting friends. But the message I got was, let's just trudge along. This behavior may not have been reality, but I perceived it that way. So much so that my romantic relationships often had many of the same traits. I just never noticed a similarity and it took me years to realize it. I pulled away from men if I sensed even the slightest thing going wrong. Maybe the man of the hour didn't call that day, or perhaps he didn't mention when I'd be seeing him again. I perceived almost everything happening with a negative slant, and I'd begin to shut down mentally. Communication breakdown at its best. As it turns out, my dad's true colors, loyalty and consideration, came out years later when my mom began to get sick. She tried so hard but could not stop smoking, which led to problems like carotid arteries, heart issues, and eventually strokes. My dad made sure he was at all of her appointments and catered to her needs after she had her first surgery. Dad wasn't outwardly loving. He showed care in the way he worked so hard to keep us financially stable and his constant teasing of us. Frankly, seeing him being overtly nurturing was refreshing and generally made me feel less anxious about mom's illness. I didn't feel alone watching her suffer because I now had a compadre in the experience. Once she was feeling better, my mom said something like, you know, your dad knows how to come through when he needs to. I can't imagine being married to anyone but your father. Wow, I thought, really? Well, good then. I watched them. They utterly confused me. On one hand, they didn't seem to be a connected couple. On the other hand, they seem to be making it. This just shows that situations aren't always as they seem and relationships can be complicated. I realize now how my parents shaped my life and my love relationships. If only I had seen that years ago. As a maturing person with her own insecurities, I could only process a limited amount of information. I knew they were good people. They loved me and deeply cared about my needs and wants. What I did not see was their outward love for each other. I saw their marriage as a structured daily routine instead of a tightly bonded relationship that demonstrated tender moments. As a kid, I needed to see that. I realized that my parents' relationship was full of flaws. So what did I do as I explored my own love life as a young person? Who did I look for to, for guidance and advice? How did I know if I was doing it right? I looked towards my friends, of course. So there you have it. Chapter one of the book. Well, I wanted to spend some time to talk about my background, my history, a little bit about my parents, a little bit especially about how my dad grew up, which was very tumultuous, as you heard. Um, he, um, he really, really had a hard time with, you know, going to foster home. My grandmother had a few different husbands, so he had a lot of half-brothers and sisters. And having to be a father, I remember as a little kid, 
that my uncle was probably only 14 or 15 years old. And she, my grandma expected my dad to work with him, discipline him. And that was really strange to me. I really didn't, didn't get it, but I was pretty young. I also noticed that your parents do form your relationships by what you perceive as happening. Not what really happened, but what you remember and what you perceive. You take that with you often and you don't even realize it. If you're a fan of Alfred Adler, individualistic psychology, he talks about that it's, he has you write down your first memory and talk about how you look at men, how you, you view women, how you view relationships early, early on, because that is extremely impactful to write out your first memory and how that impacted you. I actually teach that in my classes um, in my counseling class. And it's amazing the, the few memories that take with you and how you look at everything in life from them, including your relationships. So, so think about that, you know, how did your early memories impact how you're dealing with yourself, how much you love yourself, your relationships, um, your loving relationships and partnerships. Are you struggling with those? And how is that happening? Um, you might even think about why it's happening as you think about what happened in the past. So I wanted to give you a little history there. I'm glad that I did and that you could get to know my parents a little bit and their relationship through my eyes. So what I took away from it was that um, I also had a very fearful childhood because the genes in me, I call it my genes. My grandmother was always nervous. My grandmother on my mom's side and my mother was very laid back. She took after her father. So I was always scared of everything on top of all that when I was a really little kid. So what I took away from being young is being having fear. Um, my relatives thought I was going to get kidnapped because we own Dairy Queen businesses. <laughs> and um, I used to stay with them a lot. So that really came off on me, I, I guess, which I didn't realize until I got older. And so here you have this fearful kid who has very low self-esteem, who has parents that don't talk about building me up because not that they didn't love me. It's just that they thought I was going to be a brat because I was so I was very spoiled, by the way. And so they were afraid of that. And so I wasn't complimented. I went through life thinking I was ugly and it affect everything. So the teenage years were super fun. I'm not. <laughs> and so we're going to get into talking about that a little bit. Take a few minutes in your life to think about how you were affected before we move on and where you could resonate with that. And if you couldn't and you had great role models, wonderful. I'm lucky that I had a couple family members who really uh, did were good role models. That uncle and aunt that I stayed with when I was little, when my parents were opening our Dairy Queen, and I was around them and my great grandmother so much, they had a very loving relationship. I mean, their generation was before my parents' silent generation. I mean, right now they'd be in their hundreds. And I remember my uncle Steve being so outwardly loving to my aunt and saying, isn't she beautiful and meaning it and them knowing their roles and raising the kids and they were just, they were good role models with that. But, um, I didn't know how to actually implement it because I had such low self-esteem. That was the problem. I couldn't implement it. So if you have those good role models, remember them, pay attention to what they did. Uh, and if you've got to work on yourself, we're going to talk a lot more about that later in the book. So let's go on to a very short chapter two, 
we're in the my book, Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopelessness to Happiness. And chapter two starts with the little caboose chugs through her relationships. My jaded and messed up thinking. I met my tribe in junior high school. Those years can be so awkward. And I was the queen of awkward. I had a mature body. I was five foot seven, wore a B-cup bra and a respectable size nine pants. I had no idea what to do with that body, my mind, or life in general. Looking back on it, I believe my friends, in contrast, had their shit together, considering they were so young. They were all smart, level-headed young people that had their own dreams and goals. Thank heavens, because that solid support group made all of the difference when I was in my early teens. None of them were sleazy or gossiped incessantly. They all had their own boyfriend patterns, and I could have learned a thing or two from them, but I didn't. I buried myself in my own muck, too immature to open my eyes and let a little light shine in. They allowed boys to hang out with them, go study and canoodle at basketball games. Typical middle school behavior. As most young teens do, I appointed my friends as my advisors. Now, this may be good or bad, depending upon who your friends are. How together were your friends? Did they have my best interest at heart? Yes, they did. Were they mature and wise enough to help me through the hurdles? Probably not, but the smartest thing for me was to just listen. I wasn't smart in that sense, though, and I could not do that. I was an extroverted leader who loved to give advice, so I was pretty screwed. I loved to hear myself talk, and I thought I could cure all that ailed everyone, even though I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. My early experiences with boys were a disaster most of the time, yet, yet I had all the answers, and many of my friends thought they did too. Some of my my favorite responses from well-meaning school buds about my love relationships were, why would he do that to you? They'd say, he'll be back or he's a loser. I've got tons of more excuses in some swampland in Florida I could sell you. And by the way, why were there, where was there all this thinking and running away? Eighth grade boys do not think that much. Within my tribe, I had two best friends. Jessica and I met the first day of seventh grade, and she always had a boyfriend. She had the it factor that was hard to explain, that I'm girlfriend material vibe that boys picked up on. I have no idea how she did it, but she did. Jessica always loved having a boyfriend, and they loved having her. When one relationship ended, she'd always have another guy in line waiting. Even with all these suitors, we were with each other 24-7, yet her dating pattern didn't rub off on me. Once, a guy even broke up with her. She didn't know what to do. She followed me around for days because she just needed somebody to hold on to mentally, mentally and physically. She asked me if this was okay, and I said, absolutely. It, I felt so good to be able to help her. Jessica recovered pretty quickly and moved on to the next one, and her relationship pattern continued until she married my other bestie was the prom queen. Not literally, but she could have been. Lisa was stunning, and the guys loved her. Her dark gold Farrah Fawcett feathered hair swayed in the wind as her emerald eyes twinkled. She had a perfect smile and a shapely, attractive figure, which was on its way to becoming an eye-popping hot body. Bitch. Just kidding. We met in sixth grade, and I knew then we, we needed to be friends. It's so strange how you know you need someone in your life, but you aren't conscious of the reason. 
If she's got the boys, by extension of our friendship, I would too. What a bonus. Two boys used to hang out at my house after school. I lived in a middle-class neighborhood in a lovely two-story, four-bedroom house with a spacious yard. I sound like a real estate commercial, don't I? My parents gave me everything I could want. They were generous to others, too, especially when it came to food and sharing treats from our Dairy Queen. I don't believe Stephen and Bill hung out with us for the treats. I think their middle school hormones were raging. Stephen really liked Lisa. Bill either liked her, too, or was just looking for something to do. After spending time with them for several weeks, Lisa told me Bill was kind of into me. I remember loving this comment, but nothing came of it. This experience happened enough times that if I had mustered just a bit more gumption, life could have been different. If I had been more self-assured, or at least if I could have talked to someone about how I was feeling, perhaps I would have been able to raise my low self-esteem. I often wonder why I didn't just go to my mom and tell her all about this. But I was embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know how I felt about myself. I was an oversensitive person, and I got my feelings hurt so easily as a kid. I had zero backbone at the time, and I had no idea how to get some of it. I wanted it so badly. The good news was I got good grades and used my leadership skills to help plan eighth grade school choir events and organize my friends' fall weekly Friday night football games. Here's how it went. See, you wore your cutest outfit which in 1978 was a pair of trendy denim overalls with a colorful blouse and your earth shoes. If you were styling, you pranced around on some beige suede four-inch platforms. You threw your denim jacket on top of your denim outfit, and you were in for a jeans jubilee like none other. Then all of us ladies proceeded to walk the football stadium for three hours talking to boys. Round and round we went till it was over. We explored life's issues like who was making out under the stands? Who, who got together and who broke up? Which boys were acting like jerks? Should we apply more lip gloss or not? Once our football shenanigans ended, we were starving and it was pizza time. Then we moved on to a sleepover where we continued our discussions about boys and our hair. Ah, the good old days. I worked desperately to cover my major flaws through my friends. I wasn't aware of it yet, but if confident, beautiful people were around me, I could then be connected to their qualities by default. I masked my greatness by standing in the background and hoping others' light would shine onto me instead of seeking out my own brightness. I could tag along and at least be part of the thrill of it all, but I was still locked away from living my beauty and confidence and would continue in this vein for a long, long time. So that was our very short chapter two. And it really takes me back, and I wonder if it takes you back, to all of the scary, fun, confusing times we have with our friends and boys, trying to get through those early years, just getting into high school, just that excitement of going, oh my gosh, I'm going, I went to one of the biggest schools in Ohio, second biggest at the time. I was terrified and excited. And boy, I sure, I surely didn't have the skills to go in and do that. We were all getting through it, but some of my friends were doing it much better than others. 
some of my friends were much more mature. Because I was so caught up in wanting boys to like me, and if I even came to a close glimmer of one of them like, liking me, I was on the run. See, my, pa- my pattern was to like guys who didn't like me back or who probably wouldn't like me back because then there'd be no chance of getting them. But I had such low self-esteem, I, w- I think I was looking for somebody to make me look good. But um, of course he wasn't going to like me. I didn't portray any of the qualities to be a girlfriend. I had them all, but I, especially at that point, wasn't able to do that. So wondering about your early teens experience. I know when you think back, uh, it can be challenging. I mean, we all have people who go through so many things um, as a kid. And how do you process that? How do you process going through breakups as a seventh and eighth grader? And in the 70s and early 80s, that meant talking on the phone, hanging out somewhere like a football game or talking by the locker and kissing real quick before a teacher saw you, you know, like in eighth grade, you know, that's what, that wasn't really dating. It was, we're going study or we're liking each other. How did that affect you? Did you even do it at all? I mean, I was in it in my head very much in my thoughts, but I wasn't actually in it in my perceived reality. I watched my friends be in it. And I think I really lived off those experiences. So You know, with that being said, I think a lot of us maybe did that to some degree, unless you were lucky enough to be extremely popular. And really, that comes with its own set of challenges as well, that you go through the breakups, that you go through the weird body changes. And that's when most women are getting their periods, unlike me, who was, you know, a child. (laughs) Um, You're going through all those changes and hormonal things. It's really a hard time. So, um, as you, if you suffered through some sort of self-love issues, you're not alone. If you still suffer through them, I don't know how old you are reading this, but if you still suffer through them, you are not alone. You will work through it. You will work out of it. You'll get through those teen years because it always, it always happens. So That's chapter one and two of Getting Married at Last, My Journey from Hopelessness to Happiness. If um, you want to get the book, you can go on over to my website uh, and you can check it out. It's over at www.happinesshangout.net. You can read some information about it. um, Check out the reviews. I'm very proud that I have Reader's Favorite five-star reviews. And uh, other reviews from people, a little bit about the book and uh, testimonials, etc. So go over and check it out. Um, If you are interested more in the self-esteem, self-love part of it, the book uh, talks about that very much as we get into the book more. But uh, you can go over to my free blog on the website. Um, I talk all about happiness, but focus on happiness in relationships. So I write articles around that. There's tons of articles on the blog. Uh, also my radio show, you can listen to all my former radio shows, uh, and we can do that. Um, and you can find that on the website and get linked up there. Um, also if you are in a position where you are dating again, or you're struggling with dating, I am a dating coach. I do a free 20 minute consultation to see if a dating coach is right for you and a fit for you. And would love to talk to you about what a dating coach can specifically do for you. Because I'm not a matchmaker. I don't actually, other people do that. 
I actually don't put you together with other people, but I help you get in a position so you are ready to date. Are you ready personally to do that through self-love and high self-love, self-esteem? What is your mindset going into dating? Is it the right mindset? And that can be a big area. Also, um, how should you be dating? What resources should you be using? Are you ready and prepared for those resources? Are you prepared to go on dates and handle the dating relationships? So that's really what, you know, I cover. So that is also um, on my website. You can find all that good stuff there. You can get tons of free stuff as well. Um, if you sign up for my happiness quick reads, you can get free stuff. Um, I get, I do a whole video on dating that I'd love for you to hear. Um, if you or you know somebody is in that mindset, I'd love for them to hear that. You just sign up, give me your email and sign up for my bi-monthly happiness quick reads. And there's all kinds of great stuff. Plus you get free gifts, the video and some other things for signing up. So go to uh, happinesshangout.net and I can't wait to do the next part of uh, chapter three and four of getting married at last my journey from hopelessness to happiness if you want to get it real quick you can just go over to amazon.com i have it in kindle and paperback so we will see you next time and very much looking forward to our continued readings and uh, hopefully some discussions in the future about the book this is Lori peter signing off from the happiness hangout have a great one Hi, this is your host, Lori. Want to get more happiness? Check out all the free readings, activities, and my blog at my website. Want to learn how to deal with life's challenges from your positive core? Check out Empowering Yourself to Happiness class, done totally online. You can find it all at www.happinesshangout.net. www.happinesshangout.net. Come explore and feel better wherever you are. This is Lori Peters with the Happiness Hangout. I provide presentations on happiness and well-being to businesses, schools, and anyone involved in wellness and professional days. Check out tons of free resources and activities also at my website, www.happinesshangout.net. Feel better wherever you are. Help us grow the Happiness Hangout Show. Become a sponsor. Businesses and nonprofits, get your info out there to thousands of my listeners all over the world for just pennies. Individuals can also sponsor one or more shows, and you get a shout-out to your favorite charity. Several packages available. Come see what you get and put out there what's important to you. Go to www.happinesshangout.net www.happinesshangout.net for more information.